0: This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we finish our look at John's Book of Signs and the concluding examination of belief and disbelief. We've seen the signs, but what do we believe? The decision is upon us because his hour has now come. Yes,
1: this is a closing of the the Book of Signs. John, and in the minds of some scholars, and I like it. I, I definitely think it's there. I don't know what you guys see. You guys get to be you guys get to make your own decision on what you see in the Gospel of John. I definitely see two two distinct portions of John. I love the idea of calling them books, not that they are actually distinct volumes, just that there is one, there is part A and there is part B of John. And John has written this gospel. He told us um, that we might believe. Um, he's going to tell that tell us that again at the very end of the gospel. He's written this gospel so that we could make a decision. This has been an artistic, he is, and by artistic, I don't mean untrue. I just mean John is purposely pulling the gospel of John together in such a way that the reader is pulled into making a decision and responding to that decision. And so the first part of this book, the book of signs is all about the identity of Jesus. It was much more, I I, I would say, poetic and um, mystical Than the Synoptic Gospels, the other three Gospels, which have a much more like historic feel to them. This this Gospel is much more uh, poetic in its language, mystical in its presentation. Who is the Christ? Here's all these miracles. Here's all these signs. You have the Book of Signs. It was all designed to tell you this is who Jesus is. You get to read about the Jews and how they respond to him. And when I say Jews, we've talked about the phrase – uh Judeans how are the how's the Jewish leadership how is the Jewish status quo interacting with this Jesus some Jews believe in him some Jews don't we've been told that multiple times who is this Jesus is he the Christ what is his identity where does he come from does he have heavenly origins and now the book comes to a close we have seen all the signs we've seen the miracles we have to now decide who he is And the book's going to end with the book of hours. The gospel is going to end with the book of hours or the book of glory. Either way, his hour has come. The hour is now upon us. And so we are now going to see Jesus be glorified, the book of glory. We're going to see Jesus be exalted. But this exaltation is going to look totally backwards. He heads towards his death. So if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, now you have the second half of John, which says, okay, well, then prepare to follow him to his crucifixion. If you really want to see a new creation, if you really want to see what's happening in the new creation, a new resurrection, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, well, let's let's see what the book of glory has for us. But today we close up the book, the book of signs, and it's going to open this first verse, Brent, it's going to open with a statement about miracles and belief.
0: So if you're ready, we can pick right up. I'm ready. And just to set our context, there's kind of a nebulous amount of time uh, since the passage we covered in the last episode. It ended, he had been engaging with a crowd, and it says, When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. And then starting with our passage today, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. So I kind of get this sense that he, you know, said some stuff and then disappeared and then they're all left there arguing about it. And they're like, should we believe? Should we not believe?
1: Yep. I'm telling you, John loves to do weird things with time. And we're going to see this. I haven't pointed this out as much as I wish I should have up to this point, but John is, John is also going to talk from like his post resurrection perspective all the time. He's always going to be pulling like the, like what we know now, like we now know, like what, like you kind of know the end of the story. And so John's going to do that even in today's passage, in next episode's passage, he's going to speak from where he sits as an author, as well as kind of toying with time, even within the story. But he's doing that because he wants you as the reader to be pulled into this, this drama and, and, and kind of be confronted to make a decision. So this is very artistic on his He's not as he's not as concerned in my mind with history as Matthew Mark and Luke. He's he is concerned with your belief and he is and again by that I don't mean it's not true I simply mean his presentation is designed to ask a different question. So, there you
0: go. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. Because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus's glory and spoke about him.
1: All right, so here we go. Probably one of the biggest, um, I don't know, uh, hardest things for a lot of listeners to get their head around or agree with me on was my perspective on uh, prophets, how prophets function, the fulfillment, particularly Jesus fulfilling prophecy. And they're going to read this passage. They're going to say, oh, see, see, Marty, it is so clear, like John so clearly says it here in this verse, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. See, see, Marty, Isaiah clearly was talking about Jesus when he wrote that. And I get it. And please hear me, you can disagree with me on this idea and this point. For me, it matters. Somebody asked recently on our Slack channel, why does this matter? And on one hand, I I, I totally understand that. I get the question, why does it matter? At the end of the day, maybe it doesn't, as far as New Testament theology is concerned. It does matter as a Jew who cares about how we have used supersessionist theology to basically communicate to the Jewish audience today to modern Jewish friends, we've essentially said, your whole story was just kind of like waiting waiting around for Jesus. Your whole story was just kind of like pointless, kind of like a waste of time because Jesus is the only thing that matters. So God was apparently just kind of like messing with all of you just so that he could, it becomes this really dishonoring, It, it, it makes the Old Testament secondary. It basically says there was a whole other point rather than the point of God's people being the point in and of itself at that point in history, everything that they needed at that point in history to do the things and to be the people that God was calling them to be. So that's why these readings matter. That's why to treat Isaiah appropriately matters, because we might read that through our systematic theology and think that verse, what verse was that? Verse 31, 41. We might think that verse forty-one is just like open shut nail in the coffin. That that you know, Bible obviously says it. End of conversation. I'm going to argue that any logical, reasonable person using decent hermeneutics here is going to realize that that doesn't work quite as cleanly as we want to. So let's go back up to the top here.
0: Well, and on that note, real quick, um, the NET makes a different translation decision here. Uh, the NIV says Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus's glory and spoke about him. The NET translates it, Isaiah said these things because he saw Christ's glory and spoke about him. And their footnote explains, you know, it wasn't Jesus specifically, but it was this incarnate idea of God, this Messiah figure that he was seeing. But the Greek literally says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. There is no name there at all. It's all pronouns. So you have to make an interpretive decision to to decide who is being talked about anyway. You know, we have worked
1: together for so long now that you're starting to ruin my material that I have prepared for later in the last. <laughs> it's just so good. And I, I, it just thrills me, actually. It doesn't upset me at all. I'm just like, Hoo-hoo-hoo! that comes up later in my notes. So hold on to that thought, everybody. Okay. That's
0: coming back later. Brent Billings bringing us the NET heat. Well, and by the way, the that happens... All the time where the Greek has a pronoun and it's true. There's a name in the text because usually it is very clear who is being referred to. But in this kind of case, it's a lot trickier. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I just love it. I just love it. Makes me smile. I'm I'm over here
1: smiling. <laughs> I wasn't smiling and now I'm smiling. There we don't
0: go. record with video, so I can't verify this, but I'll just I'll just take Marty's <laughs> word for it. <laughs> All right, let's go up here.
1: This was to fulfill. So let's see. Um, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in the present and their presence, they still would not believe him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet. Now he quotes here, Isaiah 53. Do you want to give us Isaiah 53, one through let's hear at least this little chunk in context and, and see what's being said.
0: Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Okay, so um, now I, I'm
1: going to link in the show notes our third Isaiah Episode episode 64. Episode 64. We talked about 3rd Isaiah. And one of the things we talked about in that episode, this was probably the big episode that was super challenging. For some people, it was very helpful. For some, they were just like, I don't get it. Isaiah 53 is obviously talking about Jesus. How could it not be talking about Jesus? And I was trying to challenge us, like, how could it be talking about Jesus? Like, how would that make any sense to the original audience? They would just be, like, sucking their thumb in the corner going, I don't understand what any of this means. See, this is what, like, a super sessionist reading of theology kind of makes this all about is you kind of end up having an audience that really doesn't know because they'll never know until Jesus shows up, or is Isaiah talking about something they completely understand? And Isaiah is coming to the close of what we call the servant discourse in 3rd Isaiah, from Isaiah 40 to about Isaiah 54. You have this discourse about God's servant, and you can listen to that episode, we went like all the way through there reading passage after passage after passage, showing over and over and over again, because again, here we have a passage full of pronouns, right? Brent, Isaiah 53, 1 through 3 had a bunch of pronouns. Sure. He grew up like a tender shoot. Right. He and we Christians read it, we're like, Jesus, which... I don't want to take away from the fact that Jesus did fulfill this passage, but Isaiah's is not, that's not the he in Isaiah. There is a he that Jesus, ha- that, excuse me, that Isaiah has been talking about for 12, 13 chapters, very deliberately, over and over again, routinely identifying who the he is. The he is the servant, and that servant is God's people. You, Jacob, the servant that I have chosen, you, O Israel, whom I have chosen, Jacob, my servant, over and over and over again, God has identified in Isaiah who the servant is. The servant is his people, and the people are going to be called to suffer. That is the appropriate context of the suffering servant passage. Isaiah is trying to tell God's people, You are going to have to suffer. You're going to have to suffer unjustly. You'll have to suffer for sins you didn't even commit, but through your perseverance, through your persistence, through suffering well— other people will experience healing. Your children, your children's children, they will be healed because of your stripes, that you will be crushed because of your father's iniquities, but they will experience healing. That's the immediate context of Isaiah 53, that then Jesus fulfills perfectly. I love that because, I don't know, did God's people fulfill the call of Isaiah 53 perfectly, Brent? Uh, seems like not. I mean— in a large part they did. I also don't want to throw them under the bus. They like suffered well. But he well, said, said perfectly. Perfectly. It's exactly my point. Did they do it perfectly? I, I would I would argue probably not perfectly. Maybe they even did it well. Maybe they even did it really well. But did Jesus do it perfectly? As a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna say yes. So he fulfills, he lives out Isaiah 3 fifty three perfectly, but Isaiah fifty three was not directly about him. Isaiah fifty three was about God's people. And so John here says, Well they didn't they didn't want to believe after seeing they did not believe in the miraculous signs. And and of course John is connecting a passage that's gonna sound post resurrection. It's gonna sound it's gonna be full of Jesus. Of course John is doing this on purpose. Of course of course of course but John is picking a passage That says, well, we've been here before. We don't want to suffer. We don't. So let's look at the next one. For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah said elsewhere, and then he quotes Isaiah 6. So do you want to give us the Isaiah 6 context, Brent?
0: Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land.
1: Okay, so now look at look at the connection between the book of hours and the book of glory and what I just said a moment ago and what's being said here. If you say yes to Jesus, if you say, I believe in Jesus, where do we head for the next... I don't know, eleven chapter or nine chapters, Brent. Where where does the story head? Um, uh, into a lot of suffering. <laughs> into a lot of suffering. So just consider what John is saying here when he says, "All this happened to fulfill." Because in the suffering servant passage, it says, "Who would believe our message? Who's going to believe our message? This is a horrible message to believe. This is hard to believe." And then he goes back to Isaiah six where he's actually called to bring this message, he goes backwards. But now that he said, who would believe this message? He goes back to the passage where he's identified as the messenger and says, yes, they're not going to want to believe this. And again, we're not talking about Jews. We're talking about any kind of religious paradigm that says, well, I don't want to suffer. And I hope that all of us as Christians are hearing this because we love to talk about how Jesus suffered so that I don't have to. That is not a Christian idea. That's not good theology. Because Jesus suffered, I know how to. That's what the New Testament teaches us. Not Jesus suffered so that I don't have to. Jesus suffered so now I know how to. And John makes this exact point people aren't going to want to suffer. People don't want to say yes to this Jesus because if they did, they'd have to suffer. So instead of that, they close their eyes, they close their ears because if they open their eyes and open their ears and turned, they would be healed. What does Isaiah 53 say is going to happen? Healing. They could go into this and they could experience my healing, but they don't want to. And again, this isn't about Jews. This was about The Judeans and a religious status quo in Jesus's day, but it's just as true of any religious status quo today that you and I might deal with. And John is saying, okay, so did I I explain that adequately enough, Brent? I think so. Okay, so now we still didn't deal with that pesky little verse, verse 41, that Brent so adequately— Pointed out the NET's beautiful, brilliant translation. So go ahead and give us the NET's translation of verse 21 one more time, or verse 41 one more time.
0: Isaiah said these things because he saw Christ's glory and spoke about him.
1: No, I love that choice. And I didn't even look at the NET's translation. I'm just thrilled. That's why I was smiling so big. Because the NET just so often matches my notes of preparation. Because I would have heard that verse not in the word of Jesus, but in the word of Christ. And why does that matter? Because the New Testament keeps telling us that there are there is an old testament understanding of the Christ. What do I mean by that? What is what's the difference between Jesus and Christ? Isn't Christ Jesus' last name? That's a joke. No, Christ, Christos. I don't know. Did you laugh at that one, Brent? <laughs> I mean sure. <laughs> I played that off too quickly. In my heart. <laughs> so Christ is a term Christos. Now we typically just think Messiah. We say Jesus the Messiah. But then we get it all wrapped up in Messianic theology. And there's, I'm not sure that that's how we're supposed to hear it half the time, if not even most of the time. Christos can also mean, especially with the way that Paul uses it, in a much larger, more mystical, the Christ. The Christ is the thing that always has been and always will be. The Christ is the transcendent reality. I used to say idea, and somebody pointed out it's far more than an idea. Absolutely. It's not just an idea. It's the transcendent reality of God experienced in the world. And so when the New Testament says that Abraham understood the gospel, what did Abraham understand? The person of Jesus, the first century Jewish rabbi? No, he wasn't born yet. He understood the concept of this transcendent Christ, this The intention of God realized in the world. We might even say the kingdom of God. The Christ is the person of the kingdom of God. And so what happens is that Christ, that eternal reality, gets poured into a person, Jesus, a first century Jewish rabbi, a a human being named Jesus who lived and walked on the earth, historically speaking, a person. The person's name was Jesus the big reality that was poured into that person, the fullness of God, The this, I believe Paul's going to say the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. The writer of Hebrews says the exact imprint and the exact image of God seen in Christ. So the Christ is poured into a person named Jesus. Jesus is the name of the person. Christ is the thing that was poured into that person. Christ is the eternal reality, and so it would be very fitting that John would say, "There's no way that G- that Isaiah could have looked out and seen like Jesus, Jesus, like the person of Jesus, the first-century Jewish rabbi." I mean, there's a obviously you can believe that that's how prophecy works, but that would not make logical sense. What Isaiah is able, capably, ca- capable of looking out and seeing. What he does have a capability of doing is seeing, understanding the Christ. He understands what the kingdom of God looks like in the world, what it means to suffer and to suffer well and to suffer on behalf of others, what it looks like to realize God's glory in the suffering of other people. I don't mean that in a trivial way. I mean, God brings people, that's the book of Hebrews, God brings to glory through suffering. And Isaiah sees this and understands this and then speaks of it. And of course, now, John says, we see it in Jesus. But it's not that Isaiah sat down and looked into his crystal ball and saw a a figure of a Jewish rabbi walking around in the crystal ball, and apparently he was wearing a name tag that, that said Jesus, and now Isaiah writes about it. It's that Isaiah writes about these transcendent truths that God is calling all of his people to. And then, you know, five, six, 700 years later, we see those things lived out perfectly in the person of Jesus, into which that Christ was poured. And now we see, anyway, I, I hope I have, it's one of the most common struggles that I, I hear in our listeners, and I get it, we're, we're trying to deconstruct and unpack a whole lot of really bad prophecy reading that we've been taught about how prophecy works. So we got a long hill to to climb in front of us when we do this, but I hope that I wanted to take some time today and be like, okay, let's look at this again through the lens of John and try to hear what John was saying. I don't know if I made it worse or better today, but that was my best effort, Brent.
0: Sounds good. Anything you'd add to that? We have talked about uh, Paul's use of Christ and Jesus and Jesus Christ versus Christ Jesus. Have we talked about that at some point? At some point in session four, as we talked about how Paul
1: talks about Jesus and the Christ and uses those things, yes, we did. We did We did mention that. I don't know how much we went into it, how in-depth we dealt with it, but we did. And, and there's a video I'll, I'll have you put in the show notes as well, Brent. Uh, I did a YouTube video that apparently made people really mad because apparently Richard Rohr is, is not okay. You can add him to the list of heretics that I read. Um, but Richard... <laughs> Just so I just get so irritated with YouTube comments. But anyway, um, who knew? But uh, but Richard Rohr is a, he wrote a book called The Universal Christ, and I really enjoyed it. I did a YouTube video on it a long time ago, probably a year, couple I don't know, it was a while ago, and uh, recommended the book. But I I talked about the same idea and gave a couple quotes from him out of the book. If you wanted to explore this idea anymore, I would highly recommend that book. Obviously, if Chris, you know, Christian mysticism is heresy, then don't get that book
0: and stay away from that, uh, by all means. But nevertheless, I digress. The video is titled "Thought of the Day: Two Hands of Faith."
1: Two Hands of Faith, which, by the way, I feel like is relevant here in this passage. In that video, I'm going to talk about two hands of faith. There's the academic hand, my right hand. There's there's the learning, the cerebral, the intellectual, the history, the facts, the objectivity. In the left hand, there's the mysticism, there's, there's the, the life that I have with Jesus, there's the experience I have with the Christ in my own life, there's the mysticism, there's the prayer life, there's the way that God speaks to me, there's my personal life with Jesus, and then there's the, the objective studying of the Bible, and these two worlds like have to go together. And I find that so often we gravitate towards one and, and we reject the other, and that has ramifications. We love to be nerdy and study all about the Bible, but we don't really even know personally Jesus. And that robs all of the data, all of the learning, all of the objectivity. It robs it of its power because the power is in the Christ, the Holy Spirit, the mysticism. The That's what empowers the walk or we just lean into the mysticism we lean all into that who really cares about the facts but then we end up twisting the power twisting the mysticism weaponizing it corrupting it using it misunderstanding it so these two hands of faith have to go together and what you find in this passage here what we find in so many I'm re- I'm really gabby today sorry Brent um but so much of the things that we've been Uh, Even when we'd have conversations all in the last few months about God goggles, and everybody writes in to remind me that, yes, Jesus can be completely human and still have a very vibrant prayer life where God speaks to him in the same way that he would speak to any of us, and he gets revelation, and he has prayerful, Holy Spirit-driven insight, could not agree with all of you more. And that is a point well, well, well-spoken. And I always gravitate, my weakness as gravitating towards the objective, gravitating towards the right hand. And I always have to be reminded there's no power there. It's all impotent over there. The power is in the left-handed experience of faith. So anyway. I digress, but we're talking about believing. Who is this Christ believing? It's more than just a cerebral exercise. It's more than just making an intellectual decision. It's something that's powered by... The Holy Spirit in us, wanting to shape us into the people that God wants to be. All right, Brent, I'm going to shut up. Read some more.
0: <laughs> well, I have one other idea. I don't know if you intentionally chose the hands that you did, um, but the the right hand is typically associated with the left brain, which is the analytical part of your brain. I mean, obviously Ooh. that's a little squishy, but left hands associated with the right brain, the more creative side. So I feel like sure. those line up. And. My, my thought on this, like I'm a very left brain analytical kind of person. Like I can try to engage that other side, but it is not my natural bent. And so that's the importance of community. If you're yep. isolated by yourself, you're not going to have a balance of these two hands and you're going to, you're going to be missing out. So, amen. Absolutely. it's the only
1: thing that draws me back. How do you think I get reminded of my left hand? It doesn't come naturally. It's the people around me that are like, oh, but Marty, left hand, I really don't care about all your Bible study. It's all the people in my life that are like, I really don't listen to the Baymont podcast and I really don't care, but Jesus. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that is is the point. Absolutely. Yes.
0: Okay. Um, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God, but don't worry, we don't struggle with that at all today. <laughs> no, <laughs> nothing
1: to see here. Just keep on moving into the next paragraph. No, of course, yeah, of course they they wanted, but yeah, there was this man, if I believe that, man, how many of us are caught in that space today? Like there's something that we actually believe, there's something that we're but we're like, but I can't talk about that i can't I can't say anything about that because then. Like I'll be kicked out of my spiritual community. And if I'm kicked out of my spiritual community, even though we know better, we're like, but does that mean I'm also kicked out of God? And then where do I go? And then where do I belong? And then what do I do? What about my wife and my kids and my, man, this is real. That's real. That's real talk right there.
0: Mm." Mm. Yes. Many thoughts, but I'll come back to that later. Maybe in another episode. the very words i have spoken will condemn them at the last day
1: interesting way to word that line by the way if there's this conversation about a judge and a judge who might condemn and and he's like i didn't jesus said i didn't come the father and i are one the father and i are one the father and i are one i only say what the father tells me and i didn't come to judge the world only only to save the world which apparently that means The father sent him to do that because he just keeps saying over and over again, I only do what the father tells me. I only say what the father tells me. So apparently the father has sent him not to condemn the world, but to save it. And then he says, there is one. And I think most of us are like, oh yeah, there is. God, the father is ready to do some condemnation, which doesn't work with what Jesus has been saying. And B, if he wanted to say that, he sure said that verse pretty awkwardly because he says there is one who will condemn, and the very word which I spoke will condemn him in the last day. Apparently the same words, Jesus says, that have been brought to save, the, the very words that have been brought to heal will at some point, and I go back to our earlier conversations about, is God this big condemner or is the condemnation our own guilty conscience to make it work with the book of Hebrews and everything else we've looked at? Is the condemnation a much bigger cosmic reality that we don't heed the invitation of God, we don't we don't accept this invitation to see and to be free, and so we end up under our. I got a voice that's ready to condemn me every moment of every day. I got a voice right now ready to condemn me about how wordy and arrogant I'm being in my podcast episode today, and who do I think that I am? And uh, do do am I really right about the prophets? Maybe I'm wrong about fulfilling prophecy, and those those voices are. Condemnation is super easy to come by. I, and every single one of us knows and experiences that. So uh,
0: I just and wrestle with that as you read that, read that passage. Oh man. And this next part for, I did not speak on my own, but the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the father has told me to say. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh man. So good. <laughs> I don't even want to add any. I don't even want to add to that. That's just great. His command leads to eternal life. If the words of God are sending you anywhere else, <laughs> I think you have a problem. Uh, yeah, I love that point, Brent. Uh, the relationship of that to
1: condemnation. Like, I, I just don't think God has to actively. I think condemnation is already doing its its work in the world. Like we, what He's come to do is to give us the counter to the condemnation. Sounds to me like Hebrews. It sounds to me like Romans. There is no condemnation for anybody It's in Christ Jesus. So, so it sounds to me like Paul, sounds to me like John in, in his other letters, sounds to me like Hebrews,
0: I don't know, sounds to me like the Bible. <laughs> well, that's good news because that's what, what we're reading. <laughs>
1: I, I, it is. And, but it's so consistent. wacky that our theology, yeah, and we have so much theology that says, well, God is full of wrath and is ready to condemn. Like, that's the starting point. Like, God is holy, he loves you, good news is that he loves you, but he is holy and just ready to just bring down the hammer of condemnation. And I just don't think God has to hold that hammer. I think the hammer is, like, swinging wildly all throughout the world, and God's here to save us from it, not hold it.
0: Anyway. Okay, well, I think that does it for this episode.
1: Packed full, I feel like, only 30-some-odd, you know, whatever minutes, but I feel like that one was
0: full of goodies. No shortage of wrestling matches. (laughs) Uh, and so this this is the conclusion of the Book of signs portion of John, but it is not the conclusion of our discussion on the Book of signs, Because before we move on to the next chapter, uh, the next episode that comes out is actually uh, going to be Josh Basse going back to John 6 and introducing a few extra thoughts on that passage before we continue on. And John,
1: we told people, like, I bet Josh Bossé has some things to say about this passage as Reed and I wrestled with it. And lo and behold, Josh said, you know, I do have some things that I might add to the discussion. (laughs) So we are excited to hear it. We're going to have a little John Rewind, Redux. What have we decided, Brent? What's Redux mean? Uh, Tell me
0: more. I mean, we haven't nailed down a a title or anything like that, but just... Redux is brought back or revived. Ooh,
1: I like that. I like that. Okay,
0: there you go. Well, we'll have that episode next, and give me a week off. There you go. All right. Well, if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. Uh, you can find more details about the show at BaymountEssayship.com. Be sure to check out those show notes. Go back and review Third Isaiah if you uh, need a refresher on that idea. Um, check out uh, the Two Hands of Faith video as well. Lots of good stuff to uh, to keep you busy for the next week. So thanks for joining us on the Bama podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.